So we're starting a, a new series, as you can see, How Not to Read the Bible. And as, as, as you see here, we've got the book, and it's based off this book. Ryan actually brought this book, so he was checking up on me tonight, seeing how I went. And, and interns also should know, because uh, they're going through this book at the moment as well. So um, I encourage you, if, you know, I'm not going to go into too much depth. I obviously want to just, I mean, there's a fair bit, of, fair bit in this book, so... If you want to go deeper, I'd encourage you to get the book. Uh, it's a great book. And, but I, I just want to ask this question. I want to see um, how, how many Bibles do you think have been sold or roughly been in production? Does anyone want to take a guess? Over a billion? Well, that's pretty good. How many, how many billion do you reckon? That's a pretty good guess, Ryan. Well done. Five to seven billion. And, and that, that was recorded in 1995 um, by Guinness Book of Records. But they also say there could be a lot more because we don't actually have, you know, as you know, with the Bible, many people have gone across the world to give this to many, many people. And even now we have Bibles on our apps. So you can imagine how many of those have been used as well to add to that. But I guess just to put that in comparison, what is the next book? What do you think the next book most um, produced slash sold book would be? It's another religious book. Quran. How many do you reckon have been estimated? 800 million. So just put that in comparison with the Bible, five to seven billion versus 800 million. And then now we're talking about um, books that, you know, we, we, we see in the bookstores, the secular. So uh, A Tale of Two Cities, um, 200 million copies um, have been sold. That was a Charles Dickens book. Uh, when you think of Harry Potter, the whole series, it's all the books. Um, we get 600 millions, but actually individually, not as much. And so I guess that's, a, that's an incredible thing. Five to seven billion, and, that, and I reckon that's an underestimation. I think it'd have to be 10 billion or more that have been given. And I guess, you know, why? Why has this thing been so heavily wanted? Why are people willing to die to get this into the hands of others? And, you know, for me, I have literally seen this many, many times. Uh, changed people's lives and, and someone that really was significant was my father. So my father uh, had, uh, he was a farmer and went through a severe drought and he suffered very, uh, a severe depression and, and what helped him was actually reading this. He got a one-year Bible and he spent every morning, I remember every morning he would, he would get up, he would open his Bible and he was so passionate that it got him out of his depression that he actually bought boxes and boxes of one-year Bibles and would try to give it to people at church and tell them how important this is of getting the Word daily in your life. Now, there are other great stories. Another great story that I read not long ago was of Christopher Yuan. If you haven't heard his story, he's got some great books as well. There's a book about his testimony and he's written a book by Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. But his story was that he was walking around, he was in jail, got done for drug dealing, and he was walking around the yard, and as he saw a rubbish can, uh, a voice spoke to him and said to him that your life is trash. 
And as he went up to the trash can, on top of the trash can was a Bible. And he picked up the Bible, read it back to front, came to faith, and now is in the church teaching others. Uh, and and the, the incredible story is that his mum also came to faith before him, was praying for him for seven years. And so that's just another, another incredible story. Another one that I love is uh, those that know corn and the band. And Brian held Welch and another, his other guy, uh, I forget his name, but they, they said that they would often go to hotels and there were Bibles there. And when they ran out of paper for their joints, they would, actually, they would use the pages of, of the Bible to roll up. And so their joke is they literally inhaled the Word of God. But they actually decided as they kept doing that, they said, well, we should actually read this. And so those guys actually end up coming to Christ by reading the Bible. Isn't that, that that's some incredible stories. And so we hear, hear those incredible things, but I want to tell you as well, there are other people more recently that have been reading the Bible and are turning away from God. There are some things in this that are confusing them. They find it hard to understand. And there are now people that are using the Bible to steer people away from Christianity. And we're seeing it even probably more present in our culture today. And I guess for us as the church and, and growing up, I know for me growing up, all we used to see is those cool inspirational verses. You know, you know throw some verses at me. that It was probably on your coffee mug at home. Has anyone got a verse for me? That's... Oh, yes, I love that. Plans for you to prosper. That's great. Thank you, Ryan. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, these are great verses, but we don't hear these, these difficult verses that we see in Scripture on cups, do we? The ones that lead to confusion, the doubt, and a loss of faith for many. And, and so I guess with this series, my hope is, um, as we dive into uh, this series and as we dive into topics, we're going we're gonna to tackle some really tough topics and questions like, is the Bible anti-women? Is the Bible anti-science? Is the Bible pro-violence? Is the Bible pro-slavery? And is God intolerant of other religions? Now, I just want to clarify, we would say, no, that the Bible isn't. But people can read it that way. And if you don't understand it, you can definitely twist it to sound like that. And people have used Scripture for those things to justify those things. There have been Christians that have in history. And so, and today there are culture that are coming back to those things and trying to twist, to steer people away from God. And so my hope is that we can come around this and, and we want to tackle some of these hard topics to help you have greater understanding that when people do bring these things up, you know, there's Facebook groups now dedicated to bringing up tough scriptures to steer people away from the Bible. Um, my hope is that you wouldn't be, you know, defensive. You know, I think when people are defensive, and when I'm saying badly defensive, they get heated, it's because of what they don't know. And so when you get someone's, you know, knowledge is being challenged, they get all defensive and try to defend. But I want to encourage you, when you know the words, you don't have to be defensive. You actually go, hey... You have a misunderstanding. I want to walk with you. 
I want to do the journey with you. Can I, can I read the word with you to understand what is really going on? Um, today, today, my role is just to give you an intro and I want to talk about some simple rules on how to read scripture. And can I tell you, my background in, in when it comes to scripture, can I, I didn't have, I grew up in a church that didn't encourage reading the word. It wasn't something that uh, the pastor at the front, and maybe I grew up in a country town, and in country town we just, you know, we just we listen to whatever someone says at the front, and we just go, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, can't read. Not very good at reading. It's not true. And and so I wasn't really. In, I know my my father read read the scriptures, but there were some things that we just, you know, if there was a tough topic in the Bible, I just completely would ignore it. I don't know. Somehow I just go, I'm not going to go there. Um, and if someone, you know, would give a, a rough, good, ex- you know, explanation, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy with that. But, you know, the, the problem was there were some things that my pastor, uh, I wouldn't say she was a great teacher. And, and so I grew up in a church where, you know, you weren't allowed to wear hats. So you wouldn't be welcome in the church, boys, at this church. Um, tattoos, we weren't allowed to have tattoos. In fact, if you were a new, new believer, she would pray that, those tattoos would get taken off. Uh, anyways, long story short, she started preaching stuff that was unbiblical, got stepped down. And, but for us, I didn't fully understand. I didn't know what was really going on. I, I, when, when they taught those things, I didn't, it was not until I came to Canberra and being part of this church that I had a greater understanding that was going on. Um, and Josh really helped me. Josh is very passionate about the word. And I have to admit, I probably had a Sunday school knowledge of Scripture, meaning I only heard the good stories, you know, Noah, Moses. Yeah, I read a bit about Jesus. And, but coming here, as I got to um, read this, and can I tell you, when I started reading this, I was like, wow, how did I miss that? Did Jesus really say that? It changed my life. You know, I definitely did. I grew up in a Christian home, and when I started reading this, it, it changed everything. And and I, I, I thank Josh. And so, yeah, and I think, so that's, that's the one extreme. I think the church can be that far, you know, very, listen just to the person at the front, listen to everything they say, don't study it for yourself, don't challenge it, okay? But then I think there's the other extreme that's going on, which I, found, I find a little bit in Canberra, and I just want you to be aware of this culture, is that I need to find the truth myself. And so how do I find that truth? Google. I'm going to Google the answers. Can I tell you, that's not always a great thing to do. You can find the answer that you need to find through Google to suit what you think, which is not always true. And so my hope as we go through this series, you know, some would say the church that I was involved, very spirit-heavy. Not much, so much word. And some here are very word heavy, not much spirit. I want to see the spirit and the word hand in hand. I want to work, I want them to work together. They don't contradict each other. And so that's my heart as we go through this. That's the heart of this church. And, and so I just want to read Colossians 2. My goal is that you may be encouraged in the heart and united in love, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. That's why we need to know this because, you know, we see it in the early church. They were deceived. They didn't have the knowledge. No excuses for us. We have the words. You know, we've got the New Testament now. And, and unfortunately, too many are getting deceived. Can I tell you, honestly, this is a warning for you. If you hear someone say, I was reading the scripture the other day and, and God brought out a new revelation that no one's ever heard of, no one's ever taught on, but God spoke directly to you, can I just say, don't listen to them. There's nothing new that comes out of here. We come around with a community. We have teachers. We have people that, and so when we're reading scripture and you've, you've read something that's new. Now, don't, don't miss him. I think, I think the Holy Spirit can illuminate things in scripture and it can encourage you. But if it's not in the character of God, you need to question it. And that's, that's the heart of this. Do you know what this is about? This is about the character of God and the way he works. And, and I love this. Tanya Harris says this. She says, The Bible is full of stories of God speaking to people through dreams, visions, angelic visitations, even a talking donkey and a burning bush. What she's saying is, the things that we read in this word is for us today. Meaning the way that God moved through Israel, through the church, through Jesus, is the same God that works and moves today. I know there are churches that don't believe that. This church does. And, and I can testify to that. I have visions and dreams. I have seen healings in people's lives. And so my encouragement for you is that the same God that we read about is the same God that we worship today. And he still moves. But the thing is, has to line up the way he moves in scripture it has to be his character and in the patterns of how he works and so if, if we're seeing things that are completely off God's character we need to question it and I know that there are things that people have claimed that have been way off the patterns of scripture the way off the patterns of the character of God and so that's what I want to remind you of but I also want to remind you that not to be scared of this that's another thing that I think people are like, there's so much in this, I might get something wrong. If I read something, I may get it wrong. I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit's going to work with you. He'll partner with you as you read this. And if you do it in community, you'll have that protection. So don't be scared. You know, these guys, like Chris Vivian and so forth, you know, they had no one around them. They actually read it and the Holy Spirit helped them and it changed their life. And so... You know, when I go through this message, don't feel condemned that you may have got verses wrong and out of context. God is graceful and God, you know, sometimes it's worth doing even though you might do it wrong at times. And so I want to encourage you that my heart is that you would pick this up and, and see the power that it has. This is God speaking. It's God's word. It's his inspiration. So I want to talk about four things um, today, to guiding principles uh, for, for when we read the Word, when you sit down. And I'm going to use unlock. 
So we're going to go through the letters and, and we're going to start with L-O-C, lock. Uh, I think there's a slide that we can pop up. Unlock the Bible. So we've got L-O-C, so library, original reader and context. And then UN stands for unified. So let's first talk about the first thing. The first thing you need to understand about the Bible is that this is a library, not just one book. I think that's really important to understand. So if you were to go into a library, you'll see there are different genres. And, you know, that's, that's, that's important because this has different genres in it and have different books. Dan Kimball, who, who wrote this book, how not to read the Bible. He says this, the library is diverse, containing writings of history, poetry, prophecy, and law. This library of diverse books was written in three different languages over a 1,500-year period by a whole bunch of different people from different cultures. So we've got 66 books in this. In this may look like one book, but there's 66, which are diverse. And like Dan Gimbel said, it has historical Books, narrative books, poetry, has prophecy and law. And, and just to give you context, so Psalms was written roughly around 50, uh, 1000 BC. Acts in the New Testament was written in the late 60s AD. There's a massive gap between those books. And then we have more than 40 authors, and those authors can range anywhere from a shepherd to a king. And then also to take in consideration, they take in consideration, this is written to a particular cultural context. Now you can think about our cultural context and how much culture changes in 100 years. Imagine culture changing in 1,000 years. And so again, it's written to a context. Um, now each writer was divinely inspired. A great example of this uh, was uh, Alpha. If you ever watched Alpha and they explained of how the Bible is inspired, and I love this example. Um, for those that have been to St. Paul's Cathedral in, in London, has anyone been there? I have been there. It's awesome. And the guy that made that building, no question that his name is on it. They designed it. He was the architect. But do you know that he did not lay one brick? Not one. Yet he was the guy that made that building. And so that's the same what we say with... The Bible, God inspired this. He's the architect. But he used people to write, inspire. But we're going to understand as he spoke to them, they were speaking from their viewpoint. They were speaking from their cultural context. They were speaking into a context. And so that's important to understand. And to understand there are different genres. So I can imagine, who, who loves reading poetry? I don't. Pete does, yeah. You would not read poetry and history in the same way, would you? you? You read it from a different lens. You know, if you were to read a children's book versus, I don't know, a science book, and you picked them both up, and you had to try and get an application out of it, you would different with, read it with a different lens, wouldn't you? To understand it, to get the application out of it. And it's the same here. We need to read these things with a different lens. You know, the Psalms is a, is a great example. A lot of people misinterpret the Psalms. What was the Psalms about? The Psalms were songs. The Psalms were, were often David's cries, you know, his hurts, his prayers. 
And yes, the Holy Spirit was working through him, but you know, what do we learn from this? What's the application? Well, this helps us how to pray. We can be honest with God. We can share our frustrations with him. And that's what we can learn from the Psalms. And that's what the applications. And, but even in those frustrations, we can glorify God. You know, that's what the beauty of the Psalms. So we don't read it in the same way, whereas compared to a gospel, which is a narrative, this is historical. This is actually literally what's going on in that time and from their viewpoint, or from Matthew's viewpoint, from Mark's viewpoint. And so knowing the time of period, uh, knowing the time period of writing is important. Knowing the historical context and the genre of the book helps us make sense of difficult passages. The reason why I'm sharing this is because when we go through difficult passages, you need to have that knowledge. Because it will give you more understanding as we tackle these, these tough topics. You with me still? You got it? Number two. Consider the original reader. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. That's important. Why is that important? This wasn't written directly to our culture. It wasn't written directly to me. Now, it is helpful for me, and I can get application from it, but you've got to understand we need to understand the original reader and who it was written to before we can apply it to ourselves. You know, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 to 7 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we understand that that doesn't mean we just ignore it then. If it's not written to us, well, why bother reading it? No, no, don't mishear me. It's written for us. We still can learn from it. We can be taught. We can be rebuked. We can be corrected. Um, we can be trained in righteousness. But the first thing that we need to do is that we need to understand that the writer was writing to someone and we need to understand what the reader was hearing and what they were listening to or uh, reading from. Often, sometimes they were spoken, so some of them couldn't read. And so why is that important? I'll give you an example. So we've got Jeremiah 29 verse 11, Ryan. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper, not Ryan prosper, prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Sounds great, isn't it? It's a great verse. Does anyone know what the context of that is? What is really going on underneath? What was the people at the time, what did they hear? And I think this is what we need to understand. So let's, let's take the lens of the people that actually heard this and step back before we apply it to ourselves. So what actually was happening is that Israel were forced into exile. And they were forced into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, and now they were under enemy rule. And Hannah gives a false prophecy. What Hannah says that God is going to relieve the Jews of stress and suffering, and be back, and they'll be back home in two years. And what uh, Jeremiah's doing, he's the guy that's the prophet, he's saying, uh, no, that's not true. But in this, this verse, he says, but I do have plans. God has plans for you to prosper. It may be just not right now. Now, how do we apply that to ourselves? What does that mean? It means you may be going through suffering right now. And that suffering may not end right now. It may go for another two years or three years or four years or five years. 
as it did for the Israelites. But we do have a hope that we can hold on to, that God has plans for us. And, and this is going to be a challenging thing for us to hear. Those plans may be when we die. What I mean is, we have a hope that there will be a day when there is no sickness, no death, that there is life, and there is life with God in eternity. Now, yes, God can change our, our, you know, right now. There are some things that He can prosper us, and don't mishear me. I'm just saying that if you understand the context of what's going on, it may not be right now. When you claim that, it doesn't mean that God will prosper us right now. Sometimes... As you can see, if you were to share that verse with people that are in poor and can't eat, they may still go through that, but they look forward to a day where they're going to be in heaven. Can you see how now they go, wow, they hold on to that hope. Does that make sense? And so it's important to understand, uh, and, and John Walton says this, we believe the Bible was written for us, that it's for everyone of all times and places because it's God's Word, but it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. So two things when you're reading the words and trying to understand things. First is first comes interpretation. What does this mean? It's the first question you need to ask yourself. And then the second question is, then comes application, what does this mean for me? Don't start with that. Start with what does this mean? What is going on? What were the original readers hearing? And then go, hey, how does this apply to me? Number three, context. I love this. Greg Kugel says, if there's one bit of wisdom, one rule of thumb, one single skill I could impart, one useful tip, I could leave that would serve you well the rest of your life, what would it be? What is the most single, most important practical skill I've ever learned as a Christian? Here it is. Never read a Bible verse. That's right. Never read a Bible verse. Instead, always read a paragraph at least. Now, what he is saying is, And I think it's important to understand, the Holy Spirit can illuminate verses. But if He doesn't, and we grab a verse and then try to fit it into our own context or shift it, we could actually shift God's character. And so what He's saying is, read what's going on in the chapter first. Read what is the context it's in so you know what God's character is. And then as you do that, you'll have more understanding of the verse. We just read the one previously. You know, for me, um, you know, what I do now recently, I've changed, you know, sometimes I go through the Bible systematically. At the moment, I'm using the Bible verse of the day on the Bible app. But what I do is I click on read full chapter first. And so I read through the chapter and then I ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate something out of that chapter and, and it gives me more understanding of the verse and then I start to pray and sometimes I will pray on a verse and meditate on a verse. And that's okay, but I understand what the context and what the verse is about. I'll give you maybe a, uh, a, an example outside the Bible. Any Lord of the Rings fans here? Oh, yes. We see. Yep. Great. I love Lord of the Rings too. 
Um, if I gave you this verse, and those Lord of the Rings fans will probably know the context, but those that don't, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Does anyone know where that's from? Oh, Pete's come away. What, which, which episode, if you're going from movies? I mean, movie. Fellowship of the Ring? Fellowship of the Ring, mate. What's going on? Yes? I will go through it for you. So let's get the context of it. Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but as that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Now can you see the full context, what that little section, that quote means? And we do it all the time. You know, we just try and apply it, but actually getting the full context helps us. And so we should never read a, a verse out of isolation. Another great one that I've heard um, many times, I know Josh has talked about it, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. God is with them. Now, I grew up in a church that quoted that all the time. And to be honest, I'm, if you were to say it, someone actually said it to me this morning after I preached this message. Uh, I didn't preach on this, but I was like, oh, I might teach on this tonight. When we say that, and it's not a big deal that we say that, but do you know the full context of where that verse comes from? That, that, that verse comes from a place of conflict or discipline. And so if you have a conflict with someone and they don't listen to you, that verse is saying, grab two or three, come to them, and God will be with you as you speak to them. Saying that God's authority is upon the three. Does that make sense? Why is that important? Well, actually, I shared this with Queenian, and there was a lady that actually shared with me, said, man, I just felt like you released me because I always believed that God wasn't with me when I was by myself. Because people preach that at church. Where two or three gather, God is with you. Can I tell you, God is with you all the time? Now, yes, there is power when we all come together. Don't, that's, that's a beautiful thing. But can you see how we can grab something out of context? And actually, for some, that's very empowering. For others, it's disempowering. And so it's important to get the full context of what's going on. Now, if someone said that from the stage or the person this morning that said to me, I didn't say anything to them. I'm not, I think we need to be careful that we get on our high horse and, you know, only if it's going to affect their faith. That's when we, we, we explain with them, like with the person this afternoon. That's why it's important sometimes to share that. And so I just want to go through, um, so again, four points, actually three points. When we're reading, you know, when we're going to a single verse, to ask yourself, so what, is, what does this entire paragraph chapter say when you're reading this verse? What is the, this, does this specific book of the Bible say? So what genre are you reading? So you need to understand that. And what does this specific book find itself in the overall storyline of the Bible? So meaning, what is, what is it, how does it fit in with everything else? How does, for example, and we're going to tackle this with women, okay, there is a verse there that says women should be silent in church. Now, if we just read it as it is, well, hello women, be quiet. But what we do know is we read it in the wider large of, of, of the Bible is that Paul actually honors women and he actually says there are women that are apostles, there are women that are prophets, 
There are women that had, had taught. So what's going on? There's got to be a context going on here. And so that's why we need the wider part of Scripture to, to understand that. Does that make sense? And I understand why people get confused. Right? And, and Kathy's going to talk about that um, and go in a lot more detail than I am. I'm just giving you a teaser. <laughs> or you can read the book if you want to get to that. But there is a reason. There is a cultural context going on. Don't get scared of that. Paul is, there is a reason why he says that. God's not anti-women. Number four, the UN, Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. You know, this thing is to point to Christ. You know, and and we'll go through, and there's there's a great thing in the book that gives you a little graph It says this in Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You know, there was over 300 prophecies about Jesus. And I told... This this Old Testament was written a thousand years or more before Jesus came to the earth. And it was prophecies about him where he was born. Now, I don't know about you, but you can't really choose where you're born, what city. But Jesus fulfilled a prophecy about him being born in Bethlehem. And he didn't just fulfill that one, he fulfilled over 300. I don't know the odds for that. I think uh, Louis Gigolo did the odds for, for that, or Craig Rochelle. And the odds for that, there was... There wasn't even a number he had that you could find that was for the probability. It was something ridiculous. For him to even fulfill 10, I think it was something crazy. But Jesus fulfilled over 300 of stuff that was written from the Old Testament. That is incredible. And, and so we need to understand that everything here points towards Jesus. As we read it, we need to read it through the lens of Jesus and so um, what, what they've done in the book, they've broken it down into six acts. And so to understand uh, the, the Bible and, and understand what's going on, can I just be honest? This Bible is more real than we are. There is more dirt in this than we share in our own lives. The stuff that I read in this, I just go, oh, wow, Jesus, hope for me. The things that they do and the mistakes they make, yet God still loves them. God still uses them, it should give you encouragement. And actually, we should be more real with each other. If this has been, you know, these guys have been willing, we, we put them up on pedestals, thinking they're amazing. Can I tell you, they've done some dumb stuff that I've never done. Yet God used them. And so, yeah, we just, I just want to break it down to six acts and I'll just put up the next slide. And so when you're understanding the 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 pattern of Scripture, what's going on, the journey over the, the Bible, um, it, it's broken to Acts. So, and, and Josh has talked about this when he was down here, was when he did his Dwell series, he talked about Eden and Eden being restored or redeemed. And then there will be a day where Eden will be fully restored and redeemed. So same idea. And that's how you should read Scripture because that's what Scripture is. It's going through a journey. 
of being restored, of people being redeemed. And so Act 1, we see creation, God dwells with his people. And then we see in Act 2, I'm not talking about the book of Acts, I'm talking about an act. In Act 2, sin destroys God's good world, violence, murder and war, male domination over women, rape, abuse, polygamy, marriage, not as God intended. So now, you know, God's creation has been distorted. In Act 3, redemption is initiated. But God's people who are supposed to be, this is Israel, who are supposed to bring blessing to the nations end up being more evil than the nations around them. And we need to understand, and, and again, we've got someone that's going to talk about violence, but even God just at times destroyed Israel. Like, not fully, obviously, but they also got punished um, because they were more evil than the nations around them. Um, the, but the prophets foresee that greater redemption is coming. Again, this is about Jesus. Acts 4, Act 4, I said Acts. <laughs> Act 4, making you confused. Redemption provided in Jesus. We see Jesus bring redemption. Everything that was talked about, the one that was coming, was about him. And then in Act 5, everyone goes to the mission to share about Jesus' redemption. And then Act 6 is the redemption completed, which is the new Eden, the restored Eden. That makes sense. And so when we're reading this, we've got to understand there's a journey in each book. Does that make sense? And maybe they'll help us give a more understanding of the awful violence that goes on in the Old Testament. Um, and that, yeah, that, that there was a day that Jesus was going to redeem and come. And, you know, we can go through all the scriptures that talk about that. And so I just want to finish with this. It doesn't matter how much you read this. You know, I want to encourage you, never think you're an expert. You know, God is a mystery. It's okay. We don't need to know everything about him. But what I do know, that God is love. And he loves you, he is for you, and he wants to redeem you. And there are some things at times when you're going through situations that you don't fully understand and you wonder why God, why don't you bring me out of this? But I, what I knew know is there is a day that God is going to redeem all his people. And I know that because it says it in here. And he has done it before and he can do it again. And so Scott McKnight, The Blue Parakeet uh, book, it, it's a great book. I know Ryan's read it, loves it, ish. Read bits of it, okay. He's read it. Pete, talk to Pete then. What we are looking for in reading the Bible is the ability to turn the two-dimensional words on paper into a three-dimensional encounter with God so that the text takes on life and meaning and depth and perspective and gives us direction for what to do today. I want to encourage you, and this, this breaks my heart, there are more Christians that have read the Harry Potter series than they've read the Bible. Yet this has had five to seven million copies. Billion, sorry. Thank you, Ron. Correction. Five to seven billion, and yet we haven't had Christians that have never read this. You know, there are people 
that have died trying to get this into the hands of others. And I think the average Christian has 4.3 Bibles in their home. And I can guarantee you, some of you probably got more than that. I do. So let's not just take this for granted. You know, there are, there are, there are people that have, have literally died. Uh, you can read the stories. Go back over the centuries, over the dark ages of people trying to get this into your hands. It's still happening today where people are not allowed to have these in their country. But they're hiding them, memorizing them, because they're worried that someone will take it off them. And so they memorize scripture. Yet we haven't, we, I'm talking about myself here at times, don't have this value on this. When this is, a, this is supposed to help give us life. This is supposed to help us bring us closer to God. So I want to encourage you, keep it simple, start, and just continue. Don't, don't complicate it. Maybe you heard today, oh, hopefully these are basic rules, but it doesn't have to be two chapters a day. It could be a paragraph. You know, my friend who's just... Uh, accepted to follow Christ recently, he, I did Alpha with him and, and he said, okay, man, the Bible is so much better than Alpha. He said, I, I really struggled to sleep at night. He couldn't sleep. And he said, and I think this is funny, he said, I put the audio Bible on and it puts me to sleep. Now, is it because it was boring? No, he's, he's meaning that he is, he's been reading this every day. And, and at, the, at the footy club, all the, he's a coach, and all the guys are saying, man, that guy's changed. He's different. And I, I just love his hunger. And can I be honest, he's got, he has not grown up in the church at all. He has no knowledge of this. But he had to go. Started reading. You know, and he's, I don't know, he's read through half the Bible already in about six months, and he's coming back because he said, Kate, I think I just read past it and I didn't really understand the context. And as he's learning more, he's got now going back and he said, oh, I'm just reading like a chapter a day to understand the context. Oh, man, it is unbel- unbelievable. Wow. Man, it's just it's an encouragement for me. I, I, and I, I just think if he can do this, you guys can do this as well. I can do this. Let's start. Let's, let's, let's start getting into this. Let's start praying. If we're going to see a move in our city, it starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. I truly believe when we, we get in this and we start reading the Word, the friends around you are going to see a change. They're going to see something on your life. They're going to see a move. And I, I, I've already seen it. You know, he's already, my friend's already talking to his brother about God. And even I, I spoke to his brother and his brother said, man, I see a change in him. I see a difference. 
Because this is about God. This is about our relationship with him. Let's be hungry for God. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for those that have authored and that you've inspired and written on here. And, and this is a, a, a book that helps us on our journey. And Lord, we thank you for those that were died trying to get this Bible in our hands. Lord, there are many across this, this world that died trying to get into countries um, because they knew how much this could impact someone's life. And we have already heard the stories, but there are so many. There are millions and millions of people that have been impacted by your word. And so I just pray, Father, that we would pick up the word and we would get it in our hearts, in our minds. And I pray that we would grow closer with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so, for, depending on your LifeCom leaders, we, some of the LifeComs will be going through this um, to, to continue the conversation, to talk. We'll give you some study. If, you, um, if you're not, maybe you can do it yourself. Um, we'll just pass it on to the LifeCom leaders. Um, if you want to go in more depth, for those who are theologians in our church, uh, Wesley and uh, Quadratural is a, is a great, um, Josh has got a blog on, on how he approaches scripture, uh, the quadrilateral, um, and he pl- he's got a plus there because he adds something else to it, um, but it's a great blog to, to how he reads scripture, um, and it was obviously what John Wesley did when he was reading scripture, so if you want to go in more depth, I've just gone through the basic principles, um, or you can read the book, but I, I'd encourage you that <clears throat> we were going to record these sermons and so if you want to, um, if you miss a Sunday, and you, you know, you miss the one on anti, is the Bible anti-women or anti-slavery, I know Dan's going to talk about slavery, because um, I know that's one, something that's very close to his heart. And yeah, they'll be, they'll be recorded and, and up on YouTube, so you can watch that. Um, but hopefully this will encourage you to go out and, and yeah, share the word with your friends and, and sit down with them and explain what's going on and... Um, and hopefully that will point them to Christ. Cool.